0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet. It's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In this episode, Simon Gibbs joins us. He is a sports editor at the Vanderbilt Hustler, which is the student newspaper. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt beats Eastern Kentucky in a Tuesday night baseball game 6-4. to four. Big hit there was Parker Nolan, who had a three-run home run in that game. The Commodores will head to Tennessee for a series this weekend. That's starting on Friday. Simon Gibbs appears on the guest line. That's presented to you by our friends at Bowling Branch, Scott and Missy Tannen. I've slept on Bowling Branch sheets for years. You've heard me rave about them. Try them for yourself. You can get them for $50 off with the promo code Vandy. Just go to bowlinbranch.com. You get 30 free days. You can return them, so it's risk-free. But let me just tell you, you're not going to want to. And best of all, these sheets get better with time. They're comfortable right out of the box, but the more you wash them, the more comfortable and softer they get. They are made with 100% organic, rain-fed cotton. That makes a difference. You will feel it every night as you go to bed. Anyway, do yourself a favor. Try Bowling Branch Sheets, and you can thank me for that later. Simon Gibbs joins us this morning. He is the sports editor for the Vanderbilt Hustler, that's the student newspaper. Simon, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. A lot going on suddenly, isn't there? Yep, yep. And
1: I mean suddenly, yes. Yeah, suddenly in 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 the scheme of the past few months, but like Given what we've been dealt the past few weeks, I'm not even that surprised that, you know, we've got another new coach to be talking about, uh, a baseball team that's recovered to be talking about, a whole lot on tap.
0: There is, and let's start with, we don't cover a lot of women's basketball, but there is an interest, and of course, anytime there's a coaching change, there's a big interest. Vanderbilt has... Fired a head coach and hired one within the matter of what, a week and a half or or probably not even that, probably a week. But what were your thoughts on what went down there?
1: So when when Stephanie White was let go and we talked about this on our Hustler podcast, I did not have a problem with the decision. In fact, I thought it was one that, you know, probably or definitely would have happened next year, if not for now. I didn't really have a problem with them waiting another year because there was, to my understanding, one year left on her contract. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but – so I didn't really have a problem with them keeping her another year. When they fired her, my concern was, all right, you've now waited so late. You've done so in you know April when you could have done it in January because their season got cut short due to COVID. So my issue – and I said this on our podcast, like I said – was – you better have that next candidate lined up already, right? Because otherwise you're going to spend a month, two months, maybe more searching for a new coach. All the while recruits are going to be going from school to school, committing. And whoever the next coach ends up being is going to have no time and no one to work with. Not only did they make a quick decision. I'd like to think that Candace had um, Shea Ralph on her radar. Not only did they make a quick decision, but, Chris, that's a that's a damn good hire. I mean, granted, Ralph doesn't have any head coaching experience. It's really tough to to be a a part of a legendary team as as a player and be a part of a legendary team as a coach and and not, you know, breed some sort of success here. And, you know, I think, from Shay Ralph's point of view, um, this presents her with the perfect opportunity to, make some noise at a power five school to rebuild the program that had been struggling so mightily just in time for um and you know this might be something we talk about down the line but if and when gino retires right if she's built this program back up i have to guess that that makes her makes her almost a shoe-in for what is largely considered the best job in women's basketball
0: yeah Lots of things on this. First of all, COVID has become an excuse to hide behind things. And from what I've been told, you had a lot of players who weren't happy, and they were just done with the season. I think you had a lot of players who allegedly waited around for a coaching change uh, that didn't come quickly enough. Um, Then the players left. I I think from what I've been told, the chancellor got pretty upset um, with the fact that she was I guess, sticking around. That may not be a, a way to put it, but I think the chancellor, from what I'm told, ultimately pulled the emergency brake on this whole thing. And if you could go back and put that all in the box, right, and know when that's coming, you do that when the season ends maybe or not long afterwards. Maybe you keep a couple of players. Uh, maybe this rebuild gets better. But what's done is done, right? Um, in terms of the hire, I have a source who's a little bit dialed in that community. The, the word I hear is – This is good for both schools. I think UConn, obviously, and you can't blame her for this, right? Let's say that she comes here for four or five years. She kills it. Uh, UConn is probably going to call her to come home, right? And nobody would blame her for taking that job. This is kind of a win-win for her is that she comes here and does well. It's a win for the program that she gets it turned around. If she's good enough to leave for UConn at that point, nobody would blame her for leaving. And that's a situation where... In that case, you have put the program in a much better spot than you left it. I don't think anybody loses in that case, and then it's a much more attractive job in five years. Now, look, that's a ton of ifs, right? Uh, But I think to your point, with an assistant, you never know how it's going to go, right? You never know how it's going to go. And the thing that bothers me about her, and I'm not saying these are impediments to success, but the two questions you have are she's never been a head coach, A, A, and B, she was not the top assistant at UConn. Now, that's a special situation where Geno's had the same person as his top assistant for, what, 25 years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but but I do ultimately agree with you. I think this was a good move. I just wish for the sake of the program they'd have done it sooner.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. It would have been nice to make this move sooner, but you have to understand that, like, so I go back and forth on this because I agree. And the new coach needs more time or as much time as possible to really set things up for the future, whether it's through recruiting or coaching, player development, whatnot. Um, but, you know, uh, someone like like Ralph would have been, I mean, for the majority of the time Vanderbilt would be coach searching had they, had they let go of Stephanie White earlier, she would have been, you know, still in the middle of her UConn season. Maybe she wouldn't have taken that interview. Maybe she would have said, you know, I'm off limits until the end of the season. So maybe it wasn't even plausible if they wanted to get a a, a coach with some some recent tournament experience to to do so in January or February when the season ended because, you know, they were all still in the middle of their seasons. Um, Another thing that I assume is nice about Vanderbilt's proposal is, look, there's no – and I think I'm going to ask this in the press conference today, there's no guarantee that this will be the case, but her husband, Tom Garrick, is not only a former um, Vanderbilt assistant coach, but most recently the head coach of UMass Lowell's women's program. And I could definitely see him joining as an assistant. I mean, if you saw the photos from the Vanderbilt athletics account, he obviously flew her here with her. So I imagine if he's coming down here too, he's got to be leaving his post at UMass Lowell and and could totally be taking a position here. Um I think this like you said is is a great deal for both schools, um both sides and and I really do think that, you know, granted recruiting may not be easy um because there's so little time, the portal is still bloated with talent. Um and if she could find a few players to, to fill some roles in the transfer portal, for all we know, you know, Vanderbilt could be around a 500 plus team next year. And and I'm not going to give an, any any form of confident proje- projection until I see that roster, but I do think that there is potential um, to hit the ground running and make some splashes in, in transfer recruiting.
0: You brought up a lot of good points there. My philosophy is when you have a cancer, and I think that's, that's harsh, but I think that's a good way to describe Stephanie White, uh, especially given the record and, and the transfers. I, I think you you move on as soon as you can. Um, you do raise a good point about timing. Now, having said that, there's ways around that. There's back channels with agents. Sure. Uh, now, now, it would look a little bit odd, public-facing, to have a vacancy for a couple months. But I think most people would have read between the lines and said, hey, they've identified somebody. They need to wait for whatever reason. And, two. It seemed like they moved on this pretty quickly. The version I heard is Kim Kelly identified her pretty quickly. I guess they were enamored with her, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. They just were, uh, and, and they got that done pretty quickly. So I'd have to think that I think that they knew they were moving on from her a few days before it was official. Once you do that, you get the wheels moving elsewhere. I guess my my rebuttal to that a little bit is that they moved pretty quickly, so I think they could have put the wheels in motion. Uh, back then, maybe saved themselves some players. But, yeah, I think that I, somebody had told me who's well-connected, and I dropped this on our board on Monday. I'd heard that she was the top candidate. The feeling was that Mark Campbell at Oregon was the fallback plan. Uh, and then I was told, you know, it hadn't been done yet. The, the obstacle that I heard was, as you said, her husband, because he's got a head coaching job, uh, mm. and that was something that needed a resolution. I don't know what the resolution on that was. Um, but sure enough, later, 24 hours later, she's announced as the head coach. Now, I'm thinking with you, I was going to ask that question. I'm going to be on that press conference today, too. Now, that that's one of those things where you know how this goes at Vanderbilt, Simon. Uh, they can have a guy hired for, for three weeks, but they got to do the background check so nobody can officially comment. So yeah. I don't think we're going to get an answer to that question directly. Uh, maybe I'll phrase it, um, or, or you may get to it first, it, in a way of saying, hey, look, do you have an idea of where you're going with your staff and see yeah. what gets thrown out there? But that'll be the difficulty of getting the answer to that today. But anyway, that was um, that, that was a big step in the right direction, I think. Um, the other thing I wanted to hit on, let's flip to men's basketball. The, re, the Liam Robbins transfer for them, I, I think, was pretty significant. Huge. I
1: mean, they haven't had a rim protector like Robbins really since I've been at Vanderbilt. Um, I got here um the year after they made the NCAA tournament in 2017. And I literally have not seen a post presence both on offense and defense since my arrival. And that's not necessarily a knock on what they had. It just wasn't what they what they had before I got here. You know, guys like Cornette, um, guys like Jones are just better in the paint, whether it be rebounding and defense or on the offensive end. Um, than these non-traditional big men that they've had in the time being. And a guy like Robbins is so significant because, I mean, he was one of the better interior defenders in the Big Ten, and we all know how good the Big Ten was. I mean, Sans, conf- or sans tournament play um, in the regular season, that was a damn good conference. He led the conference in, in shots uh, blocked per game. I think this is huge for Vanderbilt because they had – Lacked the rebounding presence, and they had lacked the defensive presence. Having a guy like Robbins, and look, we don't know what's going to happen with Pippen. I personally think that he will end up coming back to Vanderbilt. I don't think he's going to get that guarantee that Saban Lee got last year. If he comes back to Vanderbilt, you've now got a top five player in the conference at point guard an all-conference point guard, potentially all-American point guard, playing in front of, I would argue, maybe the best front court in the SEC? I mean, is there a better one-two punch than D'Su and Robbins? And that's up for debate. You And if you have rebuttals, I would love to hear them. But D'Su is a stretch four who could shoot the ball damn well. He could play in the paint and he could rebound. What he lacks on defense Robins certainly makes up for, and anytime D'Souza is out stretching the floor, whether he's out the three-point line, whether he's in the mid-range game, you've still got Robbins in the paint to get those offensive boards. That is a really good one-two punch at the at the bigs for me.
0: This season of the Vanity Sports podcast is made possible by Jody Jones DDS. Jody is trusted for his creative design, and he is committed to both the aesthetics and function. Of your smile he provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in nashville he's earned the title of number one dentist in nashville for cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous hollywood smile or other services dr jones treats his patients in a spy like atmosphere he's worked with artists movie stars and celebrities over the years He's dedicated to providing first-rate results to all his patients. He doesn't compromise quality, so patients can be assured they are getting a high level of care. Visit Jody Jones, DDS. You can find him at 55 Music Square East in Nashville. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a current football booster, and we thank him again for making this season of the podcast possible. Yeah, uh, I was actually reading, it's funny you said that, Gary Parrish released his top 25-1, and one, uh, or updated it this morning. He had Auburn, I think, at 20 or 21, and he said in there, Auburn's probably got the best, best front court in the league. That's Walker Kessler, and they, they've they signed a big I, freshman. Uh, so, mm, you know, okay. now, I forgot, now, now I don't know that, that Vanderbilt was on his radar when he was making that pick. I mean, because, frankly, Vanderbilt's been off everybody's radar for a while. But, yeah. um, you know, for, for – I, I don't know, but I disagree that they could be. I mean, Kessler didn't do much at UNC, right? True. He's still more potential than he is present. So I, I think there's an argument there. If, if you consider just bigs, Your four and five. It's frankly, you, your three-man, you know, you used to, back way back when, your backcourt was your your point guard, your shooting guard, your front court was your three forwards. It's yeah. not like that anymore. Fours and fives, they're in good shape. I have been really skeptical on Pippen coming back for a long time. Um, the people I talk to are feel like that's more of a possibility than they than they did a couple of weeks ago. I think the fact he's still enrolled in online classes. I think I, from what I've heard, he's down in Miami working out and and taking yeah. classes online, which doesn't necessarily say he's coming back to Vandy. Uh, you know, he, he could hit the transfer portal, right? Uh, but it I but at least, I mean, probably not. Who knows? But but my point is, if if he's if he's not taking classes, then that's not an option. Correct.
1: Uh, if he's correct, if he's yeah. not taking classes, correct. But although that's interesting, because theoretically, theoretically, I don't know what stops a student athlete from taking a semester off. Right. I, I mean, if I wanted to say after the fall, I wanted to take a semester off, I can do that and then re-enroll next fall or whatever yeah. I wanted to return. I don't know what the rules regarding I mean it, there probably would be some eligibility issues at least in the immediate future where you know maybe you have to have a whole year of 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 uh of whole academic year to be able to play but yeah, yeah I would say safe to assume um that if he's taking online classes which I assume he is cuz most everything is online right now um he is totally eligible to come back um but yeah I think you know it, it's going to be interesting not just to see his decision of course but perhaps most importantly when is he going to make that decision because if he goes to the draft and he makes that decision late that's a problem because they're not going to have the time much like we were just talking about women's basketball it's all time game if you don't have that time to find the replacement they could be in some trouble
0: yeah and I I guess I'm saying if you told me two, three weeks ago that, that he was going to be back. I I think I don't know if I would have laughed you out of the room. But I would have been pretty skeptical. I'm not as skeptical now that he could come back, especially as they have helped the roster out with, with the, with the Robbins move, right? Yeah. Um, now, I will tell you the, the one thing that's out there. This is kind of the wild card for the whole program. Everybody thinks uh, that Ed Conroy is joining the staff. You probably heard that, yeah, he's been an assistant a lot of places. he's been a head coach at Tulane. He's pretty well regarded uh they don't get Robbins without Ed Conroy. I don't think the the thought, and this was not coming from somebody well I'll, I'll be careful in how I couch this, okay. I was talking to somebody who's really well connected in basketball circles last night that I hadn't talked to in a few weeks um. And and maybe this is old info, okay? And I I need to, to run this up some flagpoles. But I would just throw this out as an intriguing possibility. I think that with Conroy, they probably get in play with some other transfers. And one name that got dropped on me last night, get ready for this, is Marcus Carr. Now, I think Carr is in the draft right now. And a lot of the speculation if he's not is that Kentucky might be the front runner there so th- this is this is completely speculative but I'll just say I was having a phone conversation last night where I, I did not bring that situation up at all uh and, and that one got dropped on me so let's say they don't get Pippen and, and let's say they they get a car type impact player because let's face it right if if they if they don't get Pippen or somebody like that I still think this probably is an NIT team at best. I just don't think you have enough big pieces. But suddenly, if you if you can add one or two or get one or two back like that, that totally changes the conversation. So I'm waiting to see if there's that third piece in there for them through some combination of, of options there.
1: Yeah. Um, I also think, um, I don't know the interest level here, but Parker Fox, who's a D2 transfer, um, he's – definitely you know i mean the guy is talented enough that he has tons of high major division one offers but he's leaving d2 to go d1 and i believe i believe he's related somehow to um coach andy fox uh that's a name to keep an eye on though um i'm not entirely sure in terms of fit whether it works um because he's listed as a forward he plays kind of like a scoring guard it just might not work with what they have in the backcourt right now might not be what they're looking for. Um, but I agree this team, you know, even with Pippen back, it needs one more piece, whether that's, you know, a go-to scorer or a depth providing bench player, whatever it might be. They, they definitely need something. Um, and I, I mean, Carr could fill that void. I just, I don't know if they stand a chance with Carr funny, you know who Carr's uh it, it, you, I believe, right? He was at Pitt before Minnesota?
0: Uh, I can't remember.
1: I think so. I think he's meeting I think he's a Stallings guy.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, of course. I think
1: he transferred out of Pitt to Minnesota when Stallings got fired.
0: Okay. I'd have to look that up. But well, let me let me switch gears for a minute and then I want to go to baseball. Okay, supposing this, this all goes badly, that, that Pippen goes pro, they don't land a car or a transfer like that. And I, I think the car's probably a long shot. I'm just throwing that out there because I thought that was interesting that that name came to me last night. And again, that's, that's a Conroy thing, right? Mm-hmm. But if they don't get a guard of, of some stature through any of those means, who are their best two players at the one and the two next year? Oh, man. Yeah, that and see that's the problem. That's why this <laughs> can go a lot of different places. Yeah,
1: yeah. That I mean, that's it's certainly tough, but I have to imagine, right? Because I don't think it's likely that they end up in that situation where they're without a backcourt because you know Pippen's gone and all these transfers, whatever. But because it is a possibility, because there is a a non-zero chance that that happens you'd have to imagine that that stackhouse has you know guys in the portal that may not be his first choice and he may not want them you know right now but he keeps in contact with them in the event that he needs them because he's not going to start Trey Thomas on a day-to-day basis and he's not going to start these two true freshmen coming into the program
0: yeah, and again, I, I think that's where Ed Conroy helps him, right? Because he's totally. got connections, he knows people. And from what I understand, Ed's very well liked, which goes a long way in, in, in helping you with these yeah. things. But yeah, I mean look, I've been critical of Stackhouse. I, I do think that Jerry's biggest problem, it's not been stupidity, it's been arrogance. Um and I think Jerry got humbled a lot last year. Um at least in terms of how he's approaching this. I I just looked at what he did a year ago. I was like, what what are you guys doing? Uh, You're not going to win without a lot of connections in the recruiting world. And I'll give him credit. um, The Conroy move was a big one. And and I think they're going to land another assistant with some experience. I don't think it's going to be anything like Ed Conroy's. But that was the fix that Jerry had to make to me if there's going to be any hope of turning this around. And you you give the guy credit where it's due, and that's the one thing that he's done uh, that I think now puts success potentially on the table for him.
1: Yeah. um, I'm almost—the one other thing that— so if I'm not mistaken, this is a bit of a tangent, but the NCAA used to have a date that— so this was the 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 deadline by which players that declare for the draft must decide whether they're returning or signing with an agent and staying in the draft. Now, I believe because the draft was pushed back and COVID makes everything weird, I think the NCAA has yet to set that date. So the NBA has their date where I think it's like June, and they're like, sometime in June. By this time in June... You have to decide whether you're staying in the draft or not, but that's not the NCAA's date. The NCAA always sets a separate date, which is before the NBA's date. That's going to be super important because the more time um, he gives really coaches around the country, right? We talk about stack, but he can't be the only one in this position. The more time they get, the better. Who he's going to pick up in this transfer portal, I don't know. But there seems to be an opening for, I mean, look, Chris. Do you think they'd be better off with a a swing three, hoping that Pippin comes back, or some sort of dynamic guard? And then if they come back, they sort of had two of those.
0: Uh, I think you need a small forward type, um, and 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 maybe Jordan writes that. But to me, he's not that quick. Jordan can yeah. do. Some. J- Jordan to me is a guy who like on a on a team that makes it in NCAAs an eight seed he's a guy that is a junior or senior as your sixth man right he's he's not your your second or third leading scorer which is what it looked like he might be coming into next year i think that what it does is it allows guys to slide see, and see that was their issue last year they had guys playing out of roles it's yeah. like I, I use this analogy all the time um in major league baseball, like a, a guy that's a run the mill four starter, that's got value, right? But if he's your one or your two, then you're in trouble. And I think that's kind of how I feel about Jordan Wright. I think Jordan is an asset, but he's not a I have to count on him all the time guy. Um, like like they had to have either he or Evans last year. I think that if you add a cog or two somewhere, then it allows guys to be more what they should be on a good team. To me, um I mean, the only out is like if a, if a Dorsey or, a, or Peyton Daniels comes in and is way better than we thought they'd be. And look, they got that with Pippen, right? So you never rule that out. I, I think that you, you need to either have a Pippen as your point guard, somebody like that to feel great about the season ahead. Uh, but I think you need that that other wing piece regardless because I just don't see them being chock full of known commodities there. Yeah,
1: no, I think you're absolutely right about that. They definitely need that option. And, you know, the problem I foresee, there's going to be so much young talent thrust into the rotation that I would say maybe shouldn't be relied on as heavily as they will.
0: Yeah, and, and look, that's been a problem for how many years now, ever since you've been on campus? Yeah. I, I, I think that... To me, I think you hit the pause button on expectations because this could go a lot of ways at this point. If you don't land, if you don't get Pippen back or land another big guy, then I think they are still, um, in a real battle to get out of that Wednesday SEC, SEC tournament game. Now, if, if they get one more, then I think they're they're in that conversation where they get in the middle of the pack of the league and they can make it interesting.
1: Yeah, um, and I think. I think middle of the pack and making it interesting Interesting is I, I a month ago, I did not expect that to be a possibility for this team. I would say in the past few weeks, I've become way more optimistic about the state of this team. Um, and I also think that what we saw from Vanderbilt's some of Vanderbilt's past, right? The first year I really started following closely. I was a senior in high school and they made the tournament that year. They weren't all that impressive. They just beat one seeded Florida thrice. And, you know, that's the type of upset type of major win that could put you in the tournament that, that, you know, with that extra added piece or two is not necessarily that far-fetched for this Vanderbilt team because – While we haven't seen them do that yet, this past year was the first time where it seemed like, I mean, really, truly, and I almost am shocked to have watched some of these games. They were like going neck and neck with like the best teams in the conference that really, to me, seemed on paper to be absolutely no match.
0: Well, here's the other thing, too, okay? The law of averages says that eventually. They're not going to get an all-SEC player hurt for the year, which has been like yeah. what five years in a row now, or whatever yeah. it's been. Um, and and the Ken Palm Luck thing, which is based on basically points scored for the season and points against, I think, and how many games you'd win. They have lost an inordinate amount of close games, which I would say that um, you know put a bad team in a close game and, a, and an average to good team in a close game, and the, the better teams should win those. I think some of that's. Should be built into expectation, but they have gotten unlucky in a couple of ways, and I think that's something that at some point just out of sheer dumb luck flips.
1: yeah, I totally agree. Um and I think, but again, without Pippin, without a big name ball handler scoring threat, I mean, Deu' is certainly a scoring threat, but he's not taking the ball up the court with twenty seconds left in the game. Without these sorts of scorers, and I, and again, I do think he'll be back, but without them, they don't win those toss-up ball games at all.
0: Well, and, and and here's this too, and this is why I do give Jerry some credit, uh, and I thought this a million times with Stallings. Um, he, he'd lose a couple players, he'd graduate a couple guys, and he thought this is where the program craters and, and face plants and it's over for him, and, and give Kevin a couple years, he would always pull out of it. Um, I give Jerry credit when the momentum is bad for you, like it has been, he was personally close to, I think losing it for good, but I think he pulled a rabbit out of the hat with Conroy and, and with Liam Robbins. And I think now, uh, whereas I just didn't see him having any chance given the way he was approaching the program, my opinion on that has changed.
1: I, I definitely agree. Right. And, and especially those. Getting those two class of 2022
0: recruits also means – Yeah, you know, good point. Oh, there, there, there is something that he I, can sell, yeah.
1: Right. Beforehand, I was like, this is a going to be a year-by-year evaluation process, and it went from that to, okay, in my mind, he's bought himself at least a couple of years. And rightfully so, right? You get recruits like that, you should absolutely have some job security, Um to me, the way you evaluate this season—I mean, who knows what the roster is going to look like—but I, I think almost any outcome of this season, people are still going to be optimistic going into the following season with those two guys coming in.
0: Let's switch to baseball for a minute. Uh, my goodness, that was not what I expected to see last weekend.
1: No, it was—I don't think it was what either of us expected to see. But like we said in the last podcast, this team. I wouldn't say needed humbling. They certainly didn't need to get beat and they certainly didn't want to get beat. But this is now, you know, becomes like the most important part of the chapter of this season, because how do they respond to getting beat by Georgia? Well, if they beat or even sweep Tennessee, that's as big a statement and as good a recovery as they could ask for Now, that is a tall task because Tennessee is a damn good team right now. But to me, they're capable of doing it. And once again, we said this last time, what made the 2019 team so special was being able to rebound from performances like that. So last night was a step in the right direction. And I think Isaiah Thomas being back in the lineup is huge, potentially getting more help heading into the weekend from guys that are day-to-day. But they certainly have something to prove this weekend. Uh, and, you know, the way they recover from that loss to Georgia will be very telling, at least in my mind, as to how this team is going to perform down the stretch.
0: The Thomas return was huge because yeah. it, when, when you lose a player, the impact is not just how good was the guy you lost, it is what do you replace him with. I think that Noland. Um, is, is a similar offensive player to Colwick. Now, I, I like Colwick's upside better. I think there was pop in the bat that was coming around. But Parker's started to do some things. He's hit a couple of offense uh, opposite-field home runs. Yeah, I and mean, he's not – I think Colwick's a better defender at second, but he's 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 certainly passable there. He hasn't hurt them that I've seen. So, I don't see that, – that, that one has not killed them because I think to have a guy who can fill in okay – and also, by the way, it it keeps Jason Gonzalez's bad in the lineup um, through doing that. So I, I think that to me, I'm not going to call it a wash because you'd rather have Colwick, but the drop off isn't huge there. Davis, Davis, from what we expected, that's a drop off, right? Because I think we thought Cooper w- would be, you know, maybe seven and a half, eight, nine runs created per twenty seven kind of guy with his lead off yeah. skills. He's not been the same guy since the first game for reasons that are totally understandable. So this is not to dog him because he doesn't deserve that. But he's just starting to hit. I think he gets on base seven times in his last four games before he has the leg injury. And, you know, it takes a while to come back, especially from getting hit in the face like he did. So he's not, from the standpoint of what he's been, the drop-off to where they are hasn't been huge. From the standpoint of what I think we thought he'd be, To what they're getting um, with him out of the lineup, I I think it's been significant. But to me, getting Thomas back last night was the one that I think they really needed going in Knoxville. And now we just kind of wait and see what the pitching plan for Game 3 is. What do you think the pitching plan is going to be?
1: Because I'm as curious and as
0: clueless as I feel most people are. I suspect the pitching plan is start Ethan Smith. Um... You know, I I think that Schultz, I I think it worked last night, okay, in in the two spots. I think they'll probably keep him there and just let him get some confidence. I mean, I want to say maybe he's a a break glass in case of emergency type of guy. Uh, for for Sunday, and certainly I think he'd be well rested enough to do that. But I have a feeling Tim's going to look at it and say, "Okay, we had some success here. Let's bottle that. Let's keep going with what's working." I think that they've got if they can get if they get five good innings out of Ethan Smith, I think that's a that's big because I think you can go McIlvain for a couple of innings. Uh, maybe Maldonado, depending on how much you have to use him Friday and Saturday, which, thankfully, again, they've got the two most durable starting pitchers in the league. Yeah. Um, You you probably have to burn Murphy one of those nights, which means you could use him again to close in a game three. I I think they'll be okay. I mean, you've seen him try freshman here and there just to see if something takes. Uh, Riley's the other one. Um, Riley, I think, is a is it can get you two good innings, guy. Uh, no, they felt like he was tiring, and they removed him from Game 3 against Georgia. Sure enough, he gives up that home run, I think, on pitch 55 or whatever. Um, so I, I think you can piece it together if you get what you think you usually get or, or what you do usually get out of Lighter and Rocker.
1: Yeah, and here's another thing that I'm curious about will they begin to use Christian Little out of the bullpen? And if so, do they let him make his debut out of the bullpen against an SEC school and nonetheless a, a top 10 SEC school? Because that's pretty much what they have on schedule for all of the next three weeks, basically.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to look that's some stuff up. Um, I, I my, my answer is no. He gives up a lot of base runners and a lot of hard hit balls. Yeah, he's just not—he's not there, and he's seventeen. You know, next year we may be having this conversation, and he's a first-team All SEC guy. Wouldn't surprise me, but it takes some time to put it together. And to me, he's a guy that you maybe use if you're up, um, you know. Nine to two in the seventh, and you want to save an arm, but you've got you got to have somebody ready. He just has not, with enough consistency, um, shown shown that he can avoid hard hit balls.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you there. Um, I think you know the hope is that Vandy is going to have to rely and look. Rocker and Lighter have been excellent you could hold you could certainly like on most days expect them to go deep into the ball game i worry about that third game having a starter that can get to even 6 6 frames because i at this point i see it as far from a guarantee that they win both of the first two games um say they split they're going to need to to limit the arms that they use on Sunday, I feel, and 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 they've got some offense back now, which is huge. I, I I just don't know who they rely on out of the pen, and I I honestly don't know if whoever their third third starter is going to be. I don't I don't know if he's if he's as stud, a steady workhorse like Rocker and Lighter. If he's consistently reliable and good for that six-plus frames, which is, is so crucial.
0: Yeah, and I think Ethan Smith could have been that guy, right? But I,
1: I also think you're
0: right. There. Here's the route they went, okay? They're looking up, and they're going, okay, rocker and lighter, we're good there, obviously. I think they're thinking Schultz could be their three. Schultz, to me, is a guy who has value, uh, but I think second time around the order is where it gets dicey to him. That's why I still think he can help them in postseason and on weekends. Um, And he could probably get away with some of that in the midweek, but right now he's not there. He's not a a a get-you-five-or-six-innings-on-a-Sunday because of what we've seen. Smith, I think they were thinking that they had enough starting options. They weren't really sure about the bullpen. Murphy looked lights out at times, but the control kind of wanes. He's not really done it. Murphy looks like a pretty good closer. Uh, There's some moments like we saw against LSU, but I think what they did is I think they held Smith out as the guy that was their hedge against if that went wrong. Well, when you do that, um, probably the way that you train as a short reliever versus a guy who you want to go five, six, maybe seven innings as a starter is a little different. Um, Down from pitch mix to, to maybe even the way that you work him out. So now they're kind of in that spot where They wintered the season thinking Smith was a bullpen piece, uh, maybe a three-, four-inning bridge guy if they needed it, to where that role has changed. And so I'm just kind of wondering, in terms of prep-wise, how soon can he get to be that guy? And I think by season's end, he can be there. uh, but, But what can we expect this weekend or next? I don't know.
1: Yeah. Right now, with the way this team looks, you know, The hitting seems to be, uh, well, seems to be improving with guys coming back from injury and the first two starters being as dominant as they are. Do you see them taking two or even three against Tennessee? Because this is a road series, a crucial road series, and a huge rivalry against an excellent team. Do you think they're capable of that right now?
0: I was on the radio in Knoxville yesterday, and they asked me who wins the series. And I said, I think it's a toss-up. Now, consider this, too. They've won their last 20 games against SEC teams away from home. So, for whatever reason, they seem to be playing better outside of Hawkins Field. It's probably a fluke, but it's just worth the mention. My answer was, I want to see what happens with Thomas and Smith. And right now, we know Thomas is back. And by the way, him hitting that triple and legging it out was the best news of the night. Yeah. Uh, because that's one where you're like, and, and I'm not trying to presume incompetence on part of the training staff, uh, but because I don't have any reason to think that's the case, but you always are a little bit worried. Like, what if, what if he tweaks it again, and, and then here we go. Seeing him do that, I think, boosted my confidence in them a lot. And I think if they can get Ethan Smith to start the Sunday game, which if I had to guess as of, we're doing this at 1042 on Wednesday morning. I would guess he's their game three starter. To me, that's the thing that moves me off the fence and says, I think Vandy takes the series, probably two to one. But if you if you told me it goes otherwise, I'm not shocked.
1: Yeah, me as well. And, and this is, you know, from here on out, Vandy really has... Like two or three games that could be considered cakewalks. I'm really like not exaggerating. This,
0: well, this is this it, is welcome to the meat grinder portion of the schedule because no. it is right. And, and oh, by the way, you guys are in exams or are going to be soon. Yes, right. It's
1: like they've got in between Tennessee and Mississippi State. It's Austin P. Then their next non-conference game, their next midweeker, is at Louisville. Um. Then they've got North Alabama. Sandwich between Alabama and Ole Miss. That one seems like, along with Florida International, in between Kentucky and Ole Miss, is some of the easier ones. But it's it's going to be a lot of hard-fought baseball from here on out. And like I said, the way, A, how people come back from injuries, and B, how they can respond to losses like this is going to be so important. And, and I frankly, I've been proven wrong before. I don't expect this young of a team to be as good as dealing with the the bounce back, um, you know, uh, horse blinders and, and and be able to win following a a really demeaning loss. I, I just don't know if they're capable of that same turnaround the 2019 team was because they were so old and so experienced.
0: When are you guys done with
1: exams? Um, They, so it depends because everyone has different exam schedules, but I believe the last possible day an exam could be is like May 3rd or May 4th.
0: Okay, so that means the next three weekends you could have kids or players on that team uh, taking exams, uh, yeah. which which pulls them
1: now, and it's not even close to the end of the school year. Like it just starts piling on right about now.
0: Yeah, you're you're coming up for air about the time you go to Louisville, and and then you, um, by the way, you get Alabama, which is the the ease up portion of the schedule. Allegedly, while well, Alabama has got their ace back now going to, uh, that makes them a lot tougher. Then you go to Ole Miss, uh, then you end with Kentucky. So it's not like it's easy at any point. Right.
1: Yeah, it, it's going to get difficult from here on out. And, um, I, you know, the finals part is never something I even really considered, but it's something worth considering because these kids are going to have a lot on their plates moving forward.
0: Yeah, that's just a little bit of stress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do the mailbag lightning round and get you out of here because I know we both have the gauntlet of press conferences and stuff today. <laughs> uh, the mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call him today, 615 933 1979. Email him at josh at Follow him on Twitter at joshmintonhq or facebook.com forward slash JD Mintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell me you heard about him on our podcast. Okay, a couple of questions we basically already answered. So I'm going to give you this one. Five Star Door wants to know, who do you expect to be the starting five next year? Ooh,
1: I think it's way too early to tell because I think right now, the reason why I say it's too early to tell is because I think there are going to be names that have not yet committed. I think we're going to have a transfer or transfers in the starting lineup that we don't know of yet. Um, right now, I think it's going to be Pippin at the one because I do think Pippin is going to return. And then let's to make things easy, um we we have Robbins and Disu at the four at the five and four. And then as for the rest of the lineup, I think at at two. You're gonna probably go with maybe Tyron Lawrence, maybe Jordan Wright, depending on the matchup. Um,
0: Wright's I, more of a three, though. I think. I mean, maybe it doesn't matter, but I think Wright's probably in there on one of the wings. Probably call him the three. Yeah.
1: I yeah. think you could be right, but the reason why I I I put either of those two at the two, I think really I I think Lawrence is probably more capable of taking that spot because him having him and Pippen in the backcourt is an extremely athletic backcourt. So that that puts us at 4 of the starting 5. And that 3 position, I think there's no one on the team that fills it right now. I think there're none of the commits fill it, and that's why I say there there's going to be someone else that comes out of that transfer portal that's going to take the starting job. I guarantee it. There's just no way that with such a gaping hole in the lineup they're just going to proceed as as if, you know, they have a complete team. I'm sure Stackhouse knows, I'm sure he's planned so I'm going to say that's the starting four, with the fifth position going to whoever the next guy to come out of the transfer portal might be.
0: The impression I got, this was just scuttlebutt, that he really liked Lawrence, and we didn't see it much last year. He got hurt, but yeah. I think it seems like internally they're really high on him.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and we didn't see much of him, but he's 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 some athlete, um, and and having that sort of dynamic backcourt like I said I I think could really throw teams off because as soon as you start pressuring that duo right whether it be double teams or traps or or playing out playing out uh, deep behind the three point line you start bringing some of the pressure away from Dsu and Robbins and that's I mean that's a nightmare for an opposing defense
0: yeah now the wild card is what is he post knee surgery, because it wasn't knee issue, right? I think it he won't. tore an ACL, so That's you just never funny. know. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, all right, last one. Ann Arbor door wants to know what your plans are after college, if you're okay talking about that.
1: Yeah, so I'm happy to talk about that. So um, I want to go into sports journalism, sports media, and I say media because I want to go into some sort of writing or, or uh, content creation, but the job market in that field is insanely difficult. (laughs) Yeah, so, and so I say media because I've had two internships um, in the past, or well, I've had a few internships in the past couple of years that have been in media, in sports media, but not necessarily writing. Um, So this past summer, I interned for ESPN in the content insights department, which is basically using Nielsen ratings and all sorts of boring metrics to figure out, Why a TV show is performing well or poorly and how well or poorly it's performing. Um, And right now I'm interning for Fox Sports as an editorial research intern where basically a writer or a reporter or a on-camera talent has some sort of point they want to make, whether in an article or on TV or on a podcast. They come to me and they say, hey, I want to make this point about this player. And rather than finding the stats themselves, I go and find the stats and I give it to them and then they go on the air or on an article and take the credit for it. So a lot of intern grunt work, but um, I would love to end up, you know, I I probably wouldn't love to end up back in that role at ESPN because that department wasn't really as interesting to me. I certainly would welcome the opportunity to be in the editorial department at Fox, but right now I'm looking and still interviewing for um, various writing reporting or editorial jobs um uh at a few different companies but well, long-winded way of saying right now i don't have a definitive answer hopefully that changes in the next couple months
0: well i, I hope that changes too you're you're definitely plenty good enough at what you do to, to land something and and uh not not that this is your farewell appearance on the podcast hopefully but uh, uh yeah. just, just gonna throw that out there i hope i hope it pans out all right simon we need to go because we got to get ready for the next thing, which I think we got a baseball thing coming up in ten minutes, don't we? Uh, I think. Or is, that, is that, that at noon? noon? I think okay. they moved it back to noon. And this is why I, I write things down. To do some homework before I. Uh, I knew I knew there was something that got in the way. Well, tell people where they can find you online, where they can follow you on Twitter, and all that.
1: Yep, you could find me on Twitter at Simon Gibbs twenty six. You could find the Hustler on Twitter either. At Vandy Hustler for the main account, or at vu hustler sports for the sports account, and VanderbiltHustler.com will have all of our articles.
0: All right, now go do your homework. <laughs> will do. <laughs> have a good one, Simon.
1: Thanks. You too, Chris.
0: All right, he's Simon Gibbs at the Hustler. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We got a couple more of these coming this week. Be sure to watch out.